ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Financial Mentor with David Boyer. This episode of The Financial Mentor is brought to you by SQL CFO. SQL CFO is your right-hand person providing fact-based and timely financial information to drive strategic decision-making in your organisation. If you want to enjoy the life-changing experience of having a co-pilot help you through the highs and lows of business, then head to sqlcfo.com forward slash deal to book your free discovery session. In this discovery session, you'll experience firsthand what it's like to have someone who has been there and done that in your organisation. That's www.sqlcfo.com forward slash deal. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Financial Mentor. My name is David Boyer. I'm the founder and managing director of SQL CFO, and I am so happy to be back producing and presenting The Financial Mentor for you. We've had a bit of a break as we put out a first series of shows at the start of the year and really went back and said, what's working, what's not working, what do we want to change? And I want to thank the listeners out there who gave us some really valuable feedback. A slight tinkering to the show is that now we're going to be talking about things that really matter in your business. Today, we're talking about profitability over cash flow. In this, our first season, where we are talking about Financial Basics 101. Over the next month, we'll talk about your reinvestment strategy, how you're going to take cash out of your business and how you're going to fund your growth. This season, we'll be joined by my friend, Kieran McKenzie, who you'll hear later in the show, talking about tech tools to help you manage profitability and cash flow in your business. We'll also be joined by Tim Callity from a company called Picard as part of our startup pitch. Of course, our startup pitch is brought to you by my mates at YBF Ventures, one of Australia's preeminent and perhaps most successful startup incubation hubs. Tim's got a great story about the use of machine learning and AI to help make better decisions. But today we're talking about profitability over cash flow. And I'm going to start off with some really boring accounting basics. We need to understand the terms. What terms in particular? Well, cash. Cash is the cash you've got sitting in your bank. Cash flow is the accumulation of cash over a period of time. As your business trades, cash comes in and cash comes out. This is overall your flow of cash. The rate and speed of which cash comes in being more than the rate and speed that cash goes out, well, that equals the cash on hand, cash in the bank. The next big concept is future cash flow. When we look at valuing businesses, what we try to do is predict what the future cash flows are going to be for the business, bring them forward and try to work out what that cash would be worth today. You may remember this sort of method from financial management uh, back at university. Well, it actually happens in real life. The next thing we're going to talk about is profit. Now, profit isn't cash flow. And one of the really common questions that we get is, I'm making all this profit, where's my cash? Well, the main difference between cash flow and profit is really a few different drivers in your business. It could be cash that you're reinvesting back into the business that doesn't necessarily cause an expense, but it could be the purchase of an asset. It can also be the timing of collecting cash after you raise an invoice. You could raise an invoice, but don't get paid for, in some bad cases, 90 days. And similarly, the timing of paying bills after you get an invoice. 
the timing of selling stock after you pay for it, or the timing of when you pay your tax. Often you pay your tax after your profit is generated. These are the major things that can often cause a difference between profit and cash flow. But one of the major things is what's your strategy? Often when you go around business circles, you'll hear a phrase called cash is king. Well, is it? Kind of, but not all the time. Cash is a liquid asset. It helps your business function. You can trade it for an exchange of goods or services. You can pay your staff with it. You can pull it out for yourself to help fund your lifestyle. But there are other assets that you could have in your business that help you achieve what you want to do. The key is that your strategy defines when your cash is king. I want to go through some scenarios where it isn't though, because cash is king is pretty common and people throw it around pretty flippantly. Here's where it isn't. If you're in heavy growth mode, your investors might want to see that there's more revenue to get out of your business and that your cash is better used reinvesting in marketing campaigns, growth campaigns, hiring staff, going to that next country, buying that next new product line, developing that next product or service. They think that that could give them more value than the cash merely sitting on your balance sheet or coming out as dividends or some sort of other payment back out to them. And of course, when I talk about business investors, it could just be yourself and your family. More often than not, the investors in the businesses we work with at Sequel CFO are family-owned businesses and occasionally there are investors, other investors involved. But when it's your family, there's often pressure to pull cash out of the business, perhaps when it's not the right time for the business uh, to be doing so. Another really interesting scenario where cash isn't necessarily king is if your business hasn't kept up with the times. What if you've generated all this cash because you're not reinvesting in areas of the business that need it? Your plant and equipment may be old and require a huge amount of maintenance. Your branding and your premises may be old and not be providing a great experience for your customers. Your technology could be really outdated, causing a lag in your business systems and processes. And this could be causing a huge amount of other costs in your business because you're just not running as efficiently as you could be if you're using modern technology, both in your customer acquisition and marketing plans, and also your accounting and bookkeeping and management accounting. Technology has a huge way to save time and develop more value for business decision makers if you're spending money on getting yourself onto these modern tech ways of working. Another scenario where your strategy could define where cash is king is if you're at that stage of the business where you're looking to raise money, sell it, or any event where a value needs to be made on your business. This could also be if the bank wants to put money into your business. Of course, if you've got enough cash, you don't really need to go to the bank, but you could still have a really profitable business that a bank is happy to lend against, even in the current environment where it isn't easy to get access to debt. In these particular instances, they're looking at your overall balance sheet and not just the cash on hand. This means that things like your debtors, um, your intellectual property and other plant and equipment are just as important in working out the financial health and overall well-being of your business than your simple cash. But of course, cash is king came around for a reason and it's because there's a lot of scenarios where it is really the most important thing. Let's just say your business has been a quiet performer for years and now you've got opportunities because you're in a down economy and some of your competitors aren't doing as well. When you've got cash in the bank, you're in a strong position to respond to these market forces, take advantage of perhaps your struggling competitors, buy them potentially, merge with them, or engage in their customers in a marketing campaign that helps bring more value to the business by getting them to choose to shop with you rather than with your competitors. Another really interesting phase where cash is king is when you're emerging out of a startup phase and into that growth mode. Here, you're really going through a change of who your client mix could be. 
You're potentially changing your pricing structure to attract clients who can afford a higher margin for yourselves. And you may need to want to change out those customers that are taking up resources that aren't necessarily giving you the highest margin. Having a cash buffer to help you manage this transition helps you be agile, respond to market forces, and take advantage of opportunity as it presents itself in the marketplace. In this scenario, I've really spoken about cash is king from both a defensive and an attack position. Some of our clients, we prepare attack funds and defensive funds. A defensive position is a fund that helps you survive through a downturn or through a negative event. What's, let's just say that one of your major clients goes bust and ends up owing you a lot of money. Perhaps that income and that cash flow was forecast to come into the business in your cash flow forecast, but for now, you're not going to realise it. How are you going to survive without that cash coming in? Well, if you've got a defensive fund and you've got a defensive position, you can rely on your cash reserves to fund your operating cash flow when that negative business event happens. Attack positions, though, are much more exciting. These help you invest when the timing is right and take advantage of opportunities as they present themselves in the marketplace. They help you fund your strategies and new ideas. They help you fund research and development into new markets, new products, and new customer bases. Attack positions are a great way to be in when you're thinking about cash being king. But all of this is irrelevant if you just don't have the cash. Now, cash flow isn't a chicken and egg question we know where it comes from. Cash is generated through really only three ways. You and your investors put money in, you raise debt, or you make profit. Making profit is the best way to create free cash. Free cash, of course, being the cash left over after you've paid all of your expenses and tax in your business. Free cash flow is the bit that helps you take money out of the business and do some of the cool things that we're talking about with attack and defensive funds and defensive positions. Warren Buffett, the very famous investor, said back in 1986, a really great quote that I love about how to value a company. He said, it's simply the total of the net cash flows expected to occur over the life of the business minus reinvestment of earnings. For this to happen, you have to make a profit. As I said earlier, it's not a chicken or egg question. Profit generates free cash. Free cash generates strength or weakness in your business, depending on how you use it for. But what stage of the business cycle should you change your attention from cash to profit? Well, when you're in a startup, you're raising money and you're spending it at a rapid rate. When you're in that growth phase of the business, you've probably got some sustainable surplus cash flows coming in, meaning net cash flow that's kind of building up, but you're choosing to spend that money on growing the business. Often you find businesses, you do something called over-trading or what layman's call growing too fast. Growing too fast is when you're spending too much money on trying to find new customers and service those customers, and you're not making enough profit to actually fund the cost of that. Doing this creates an unsustainable business model and can lead to spectacular failure. We've spoken on this show about the failure of AppStop, a tech startup darling that essentially failed because it grew too fast and potentially, as we read creditor reports that are coming out now, the owners took too much money out of the business too early. One comment that we often hear is that a poor cash flow is often an excuse for a bad business that just simply isn't profitable. And this is because it's far easier to say I've got a cash flow problem than it is to say I've got a profit problem. It's pretty common rhetoric in the business world to say, yeah, I'm struggling with cash flow at the moment. It's not very good to say, hey, I'm actually struggling to turn a profit. Saying that you've got a cash flow problem is almost a a timing thing and something you can share with your peers. We like to sit over a bar and complain, geez, it's hard, yeah, cash flow's hard. But we don't have that harder conversation of, geez, I'm struggling to turn a profit and I don't know what to do. 
if profit generates free cash flow, then all of our attention should be on how to maximise the profit in our business. To do that, there's many things that you can do. Understanding the drivers of what triggers costs and what triggers revenue is the best place to start. And sitting down and taking a detailed review of your business model and understanding all the costs required to service whatever it is that you sell is a really critical step to understanding where profit comes from. Once you get that base driver analysis of what triggers your business to perform, you can then plan forward with confidence. You can turn a cash flow problem into a profit-making enterprise that helps you live the lifestyle that you and your family want. That's all I'm going to talk about on Profit versus Cashflow for today. Joining us in our next segment is my mate, Karen McKenzie. Welcome back to the show, my old friend, Karen McKenzie. Mate, uh, it's good to have you back. Karen McKenzie Consulting, I love the way you're talking about the work that you're doing as Technology Mentor. Well, it's so much fun. You know, the light of technology is when you lift the lid off it and let people see, A, what's actually behind, but also the value and the impact it has in everyday life. You're definitely getting to a stage now where very traditional businesses and businesses who just focus on what they're supposed to be doing and now being able to access technology because of the amount of knowledge in the marketplace. This week's show, we're talking about profitability versus cash flow, but you've got a whole bunch of tech to talk to us about that means you can increase profitability and increase cash flow at exactly the same time. It's not a competing strategy. No, it's not at all. And the interesting thing here is while I tend to focus in on cash flow apps that are specifically designed to help you get that cash into the business primarily. Of course, there's so many tools that increase that profitability, aka the efficiency within your business to help you get there faster. So one of the big barriers for businesses accessing technology is that there's a little bit of we've always done things this way and a little bit of the bigger problem I see often is that there aren't really analog processes in a business, so how are you going to digitize them? Let's focus on uh, one part in particular, which is collecting cash. So a lot of businesses are quick to raise the invoices. A lot of sales teams like to raise the invoices early as they can because often that's what their bonuses are linked to. Exactly. But just because the invoice is raised doesn't mean that, one, the profit's going to be realized or or two, the cash is going to come in. So what's your favorite one for making sure cash comes in? Well, I think the, the, the biggest one is let me pay you right? That's the very first thing that comes to mind. And, and I'll give you an example of that. I, I um, unfortunately have to go to a heart doctor who reads me regularly. Uh, and I, I received an invoice in the mail the other day from my heart doctor uh, for a small amount, 84 bucks. It wasn't, wasn't anything you know, huge. There was no way on the invoice for me to pay them. I physically had to go back into the um, doctor's practice to hand them cash or pay via card. And my first thought is, why can't I pay online? I mean, that's the bare minimum these days. Put your payments online. And, and, and that mindset of let me as the customer pay you is my first thought in that whole space. So how do I do that? What's How do I pay online? What, are the, what do I even Google to find out how to well, do that? It, it, well, the beauty is MYB, Zero QuickBooks, they all have this ability baked into their invoicing platform. So you can simply inside them, click a button that says, let me put payment terms or condition, uh, not terms and conditions, sorry, payment solutions onto the invoice. Uh, and of course, we think about that for a while. BPay has been around for a long time in this country. And, and even just adding BPay to the bottom of your invoices was something that we've done for years here. If you can't 
can't do that, then look at companies like EasyCollect who have a system called Simply Paid. And there's a number of these third-party add-on tools that allow you to put, again, payment gateways. So a term you'd be looking for is payment when, gateways. When you say third-party add-on, you're talking as an add-on to the accounting system. Yeah, yeah sorry. This is yes. the problem that people like us have. We think that everything's about the accounting system. But when you actually talk to business owners, that's the, that's the thing at the end of yeah. the purchasing. They don't really care. No, they don't. They don't. And, and often they are so quick to think about, uh, if I'm a cafe, I need a point of sale system. Yeah. But if I'm a the doctor... Add-ons surgery, the accounting system. Well, exactly. Yes, absolutely. But also, if I'm a doctor, I want a system for managing my customers. I want a system for allowing me to know when the appointments are. Pay, taking payments, often the last thing we think about. But it's probably one of the most fundamental parts of the business, right, is getting that cash in. Um, so that's a good example of using something we've probably already got in our business, an accounting system, yep. and just adding a feature on that makes it a bit easy. But let's just say you want to take it to the next level. What else is there? Well, so the next level then is, well, once the invoice is out there, then you've got to get the money back in, right? And, of course, we know about payment terms and time. So we've got 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. Um, a lot of people are recommending now that you make it a seven-day payment term, right? Try and get that cash flow in as fast as possible. And, again, this is where the smart tools, again, in the SME space, tend to come to play on the accounting system because generally speaking the invoice sits inside the accounting system and so these tools allow you to reach in look for those outstanding invoices and then put simple electronic mechanisms around them to get paid fast and a great example of this is remember you, you and i are a little bit older here so you remember when cars had car alarms in them though the oh, good yeah. old fancy ones please step away from the car yeah, yeah, yeah. they had a little red light or a little blue light on the dash or on the car somewhere that blinked and told you there was a car alarm yes. in the car. Yes, that, especially the aftermarket ones. Yeah, exactly. They were gaudy. And they were, oh, they, they the were shocking yeah, and loud. <laughs> yeah. um, that little red light did more for preventing the theft of your vehicle than the entire $10,000 alarm system, right? right. That, that little, well, in the accounting world or in the invoice world, I tend to say that SMS alerts Email alerts on the back of an invoice is that little red light. It's reminding people, hey, I've got an outstanding invoice and get paid. And EasyClick tell me that 60% of invoices get paid on that first reminder via an SMS. SMS? SMS. Oh, this whole thing, like SM, SMS is coming back into the marketing Huge mix, isn't it? Because, because there is so much noise everywhere... If it's an SMS, it must be serious. Exactly. Or voice yep. mail, which we all, most of us ignore. Well, most of us ignore that now. Anyway. Text messages, is, I, I read my text messages yeah, as it comes in. we do. We do. Email is flooded. There's so mm. much stuff in our email. Um, all our other social media stuff's all just flooded. And SMS is actually cleaned up. And generally speaking, if someone can SMS you, it's someone in your circle of trust. So it's an SMS that goes out and there's presumably a link in the text message so I can pay it. There's some sort of action really in it, smart. yeah, and that depends on the system. So Data Daddy does that, EasyClick does that. I'm pretty confident saying IODM do it. And those are the three market leaders when it comes to debt collection tools that sit around the cloud accounting platforms. Uh, good blokes, the guys are on IODM and Data Daddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good blokes. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's get out of – so let's. what we're really talking about is using technology to bring almost like a fully-fledged debt collection business unit yep. – into a business of any size. That's really, really powerful. It, it is hugely powerful, and, and the cost savings to the business are massive. So if you're a small business and you can just get paid faster, that's that's great and that's fantastic. Uh, I've heard stories in the mid-tier space of a business that was running at uh, 
48% of all their invoices outstanding in any given month. Wow. Um, and within uh, 60 days of putting EasyClip in place, they were down to 4% of invoices outstanding. Wow. It was $240,000 a month. Just because people weren't being asked. Yeah, just because people weren't being asked quickly enough. But I think, but I kind of get that as well. Like, I, I don't like chasing my debts. No. It's an, I've got, I, I work hard for the relationships with the people who pay me, and I don't like having to call them up and say, please pay me. But this augments me. It, it, it does, and it simplifies it. So if, if we can take away that pain for people, none of us like ringing up regularly and saying, hey, David, will you pay me, will you pay me? You say, yeah, yeah, look, I'm just having a few issues myself. I just need it. I will get to it. Um, so if we can use technology to take that away, it means when I am having to make that phone call, it's either a positive one to say, hey, David, thanks so much for paying that, or it's really at a point where I need something else to happen. Uh, and so it becomes a personal conversation. It's about building, maintaining that relationship. And again, those these technologies today also connect into lawyers and debt collection systems to take so, that burden off us. So how? Oh, that's good because I even when that's my lawyer, I don't like getting emails from because I know I've had to spend money. The uh, the 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 talking about cash collection though. But how do these? If I don't have any, let's just say I've got a pretty decent size, or somebody in my business is responsible for picking up the phone and collecting cash. That is a cost to my business. Is technology a cheaper cost than that? It, it is because you're keeping that person focused on what they're good at. They're good at that relationship side of things. They're good at having that conversation um, and understanding and having some empathy in the call. So you really want to reserve that for the times when you really need it. If a person's going to pay just by reminding them, don't bother putting a person on that. You'll just burn that person out because they're going to have that conversation. They're stressed out. That It's hard enough anyway. So leave them for the bigger ones that they actually need to. So technology will save the people's mindsets, help them look after it, get them more efficient. Uh, and tools, again, like Easy Collect and Data, Data and IDM, all have um, formulaic processes and frameworks. So they'll actually give the person the framework to follow. Karen's on these five steps. David's on these ones. Yeah, wow. Here, Karen needs to make the phone call. They give you a best practice yeah, process. Yeah, it's effectively a recipe. You know, one of the things I hate as a, as a business owner, like I keep getting told, you know, you don't, you need to systemize the business so you can work on the business, not in the business. And it's become this massive lip service conversation because if I knew how to do it, I would have done it. Yes. And, or, you know, and that's where technology can come in and actually show you. And, and I know that a number of these ones actually have beautiful little graphics on the screen. This customer is at point one, this customer is at point three. These are the steps that need to be happening. This is what the technology will do, this is what you need to do. Uh, Damien Arena, the founder of IODM, said to me once, uh, this isn't coordinated, by the way, uh, dear listeners. Kira and I didn't sit here and tell you what we're going to talk about. But Damien's a, Damien and I go a long way back, and he said to me, a lot of business owners will spend time chasing their top three or four biggest debts yes. because it makes the biggest impact. Why not just do that for everyone through a simple rule that Absolutely. teaches your business how to deal with outstanding money? Yep. Yep. And, and these technologies commoditize it across the team as well. So instead of having that isolated just one person who when they're away, it means those phone calls don't get made, now it's available to more people in the business and it's a simpler process, it's an easier process. So you're equipping the entire business to actually handle it together. I actually like that. Cash collection is a culture. Yeah. Everyone's responsible for getting yeah. money into the business. Yeah. It's not just the finance team out the back no. in, in the corner. We only see at lunch breaks. Yeah. Now, that's different if we switch into mid-tier and enterprise level, right? Mm. Because there it's, well, you're dealing with bigger amounts of money, but you're also potentially dealing with a bit more sensitive information. And so sometimes there you do want to isolate that away. But even still, you've you've got case studies of businesses that have saved millions in labor oh, costs. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a big player called uh, Hexaware overseas. They're coming into the Australian market right now. Uh, one of the examples they share with us is a, a big business with 107 full-time employees dedicated to cash flow in. Wow. You know, I mean that's a huge that's business, a really, team, when you think yeah. about it, right? 
they put Hexaware in place, and they were down to, I think they saved 40 headcount, right? That's a huge saving. Now, wow. the, uh, what I didn't dig into with that was what was the financial impact to the amount of money that was coming in, the improvements in debtor days, all of those side of things. But just in the cost of the employee overhead, those are people you can free up into other areas of the business. Yeah, that's also becoming a bit of a motherhood statement, isn't it? That, it is. that, that, that we're going to we, technology will create capacity, so it'll free somebody up to do something else in the business. I'm going to be really brutally honest. Most of those people lose their jobs. I 100% agree. Because it's too hard to retool and retrain and reapply. It is. We 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 do pay lip service to the idea of freeing up those resources. Now, in a small business, um, we all roll our sleeves up. We all get on board. Absolutely. In the larger businesses, those people are exited. That headcount is usually reallocated to somewhere else, and new people are hired. Mm. Um, so that's where, yeah, the bigger businesses do tend to say we are reallocating that resource within the business. You're right. We are exiting one set of skills and hiring a different set of skills. Uh, Karen McKenzie, thank you very much for coming on The Financial Mentor again for this season. Thank you for having me. Talk Cheers. to you again soon. Joining us for the pitch now is Tim Callity from Picard AI. Tim, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Tell us a bit, what problem does Picard solve? So Picard solves, um, well, a, hand, a handful of problems, but the one that I'll, I'll focus on now is... Uh, essentially uh, the problem of rostering efficiently and effectively. So we apply state-of-the-art AI technologies and uh, in particular predictive technologies to analyse historical trends uh, of, of rostering requirements. So that could be things like sick leave, it could be the demand um, from day to day based on a whole lot of different factors. So. That could be, um, you know, the weather or it could be industry-specific factors. Um, so we work, for instance, with a, a hospital um, at the moment looking at rostering for their ICU wards, a very specific um, use case where the demand is influenced by, by some very particular factors. And so we take those uh, into account and I guess that's especially relevant in, in areas where you've got strict... Um, requirements for your staffing due to legislation. So nursing is, is a clear one. Another one I was having conversation just a couple of days ago um, regarding childcare, uh, similar kind of thing where you've got high amounts of sick leave, um, variable demand where someone could potentially be booking their child in um, at the last minute of that kind of thing and you've got to have the, the staff there to meet that ratio. Uh, so those are the kind of uh, problems where previously you've just got to overstaff, you've just got to um, make sure you've got enough staff or you've got to call in emergency workers. So through using AI, which is able to synthesise all this huge range of data and provide a, an accurate prediction, and even in many cases make recommendations about, well, next Wednesday you need to boost your staff by two or something like that, you're able to significantly um, cut your costs because you are more, better matching your supply of, of staff to the demand for them. To make it relevant to, to businesses, when businesses sort of predict their revenue, they're probably looking at price times volume, mm. right? What your machine learning and AI does is it does price times volume times a thousand other variables mm. to come up with what a likely outcome would be. Is that a good? Is that a fair way to explain the machine learning part of what you do? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, machine learning really is just like a, uh, a an advanced equation that you might have in Excel. Um, it takes in a bunch of input variables, combines them in a way which, you know, uh, is, is very sophisticated and, and it's learned to combine them in that way and 
to provide the most accurate possible output um, or prediction that it, that it can based on the data. A lot of businesses are sitting there thinking, hearing about data-backed decision-making but not really have any... It's hard to access. It's not something that you can actually say, well, I'm going to take this and trial this on the ground in the business. The example that you just gave, for example, the childcare centre, and we look after a couple of childcare centres, you do have a lot of sick leave uh, because you can't have a sick teacher in a childcare centre, So, whereas a usual worker would go to work, they won't mm. um, as a measure of precaution. Your prediction then, therefore, has a direct impact to the bottom line of a business because they don't end up with overstaffing and they don't end up with customer complaints from understaffing. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. We really focus on um, the kind of problems that can you can get a, a clear business case for applying that technology that you can show here's what it was before and when we work with a business often what we'll do is we'll, we'll set up all the metrics we'll make sure that we're measuring and able to say well based on this small pilot project that we ran with this one ward in the hospital here's the direct bottom line saving that you made because you, you in a hospital context for instance didn't have to call in emergency nurses this many times and every time you do that it costs you a thousand dollars or whatever it is and then you can really directly show and then that becomes a convincing sort of factor to easily just show up to management and they say yep it's a no-brainer let's let's roll this out more broadly and it makes it easy for me to then um, sell that solution to other other companies yeah as a business strategy we we're talking about your path to market because ai and machine learning is a piece of code it's not a thing and it, it needs to find its own use case you found one in rostering can you tell us a bit about your approach to market because it's really interesting how you're just kind of got this thing and you're putting it out there and it's so diverse you sort of well tell us a bit about that story yeah so as an entrepreneur um i've had background with a couple of other products and what I've come to realise is that the, the core thing in any business really is starting with the customer and the problem that they have and the problem that really they see value in solving. And the philosophy that I had was, well, who am I to decide what problem that is? Uh, being, I've got a background in civil engineering, I'm not in um, nursing or anything like that, so I'm not the one to say, well, clearly this is the problem that they really are looking to solve. And so what I would prefer to do is say, hey, look, here's some ideas, here's, here's some capabilities, um, for instance, predictive rostering or, um, you know, some root optimization or IoT analysis, that, some other things that we do, and just spread the net and find out, well, who's really grabbing onto this because it, it really is a pain point for them and then work with them rather than say, well, we're just going to do childcare rostering. But you can put three years into trying to do childcare rostering and realise that no one actually really cares about solving that problem because they've got some other pressing issue that they need to solve. So, yeah, that, that's why I've rather than build a off-the-shelf, really direct product, I've, um, I've more focused on building up a technological capability and trying to really make that clear what that is. And, um, you know, the plan is that that will then find the customers who want that most. It's a really interesting growth strategy. Um, just one final question about taking this to smaller businesses that aren't hospitals, does your technology work when there isn't a massive amount of data to analyse? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, machine learning and AI, uh, there's, there's a lot of talk about big data, but it's equally applicable to smaller data sets, um, whether it's Excel collected um, shift reports, which is what we had um, for the hospital stuff, and only a couple of thousand of those, but it, it is definitely relevant because what you get is the power of, if you've got other 
businesses in a similar situation, then compiling those data sets, you can actually make that data a lot bigger and still learn from other people who have similar data. So that's part of the power of that. Uh, so yeah, it is, it is definitely um, relevant. And the only way to really know is to um, start delving in and exploring and working with a, a partner who, in, who has some of those skills to, um, to find out whether it is going to be feasible or not. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me. The Financial Mentor with David Boyer.